right out. Everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and today I'm going to be diving into the dark world of demonology. In a previous episode, I know I'd mentioned that one day I'd like to cover demons on a deeper level, specifically looking at what demons mean to other cultures and religions. They have different names, they have different origin stories. And so today I'm going to be taking a look at several different cultures and religions and what demonology means to them, because it is very interesting how it varies per religion. And some of these demons have been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. And there's several possession stories I'm going to be covering today related to those specific demons, which I think a lot of you will find very interesting. Obviously, some of you out there may feel spiritually inclined to sit this one out, which I totally understand because, you know, whenever you're talking about demons, if you believe that demons are real, there's always a possibility that you may summon one, you may, you know, call some to you, even though all of us have our own demons, right? I mean, we all deal with things that I like to call our demons. And so this is a more of a spiritual aspect to the demon issue. But before we get into today's episode, I wanted to mention that one way you can support the show that's absolutely free and would mean a lot to me is by going to Spotify, finding lights out and hitting the follow button, as well as checking out the show on TikTok at lights out cast. If you give us a follow there, that would mean a lot to me. But this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lomi, Green Chef, Skylight Frame, and Private Internet Access. So I'm going to begin our demonology journey by looking into jinn. So most of us know what a genie is, right? They become popular in the Western world through movies like Aladdin and Kazam. Usually you rub a magic lamp and then a smoky spirit comes out and promises to grant you three wishes. In many stories involving genies, the deal that's made isn't always what it seems, and the user ends up worse off than before, or even dead. But the modern-day genie is nothing compared to the true lore of its ancient legend, as the word genie comes from the Arabic word jinn. These are demons that have roamed the earth for thousands of years, and their history is mostly tied to Islamic myth and folklore, but their origins are believed to predate Islam. Some believe they originated as evil spirits living in the barren desert and in unclean places, as they often took the form of animals to disguise themselves. Others think that they were originally pagan deities, and they were born of smokeless fire long before the creation of humanity. There are a handful of different descriptions of jinn. Most of the time, they're hard to describe because they're invisible or shapeshifters. Some are seen as dogs or serpents. Others are smoke clouds and lightning. Some accounts say they're giants and their bottom half is made of smoke, or others are massive winged creatures made of fire. But one of the most terrifying forms of jinn is known as polys. Polys walk on four long skinny limbs and are known to crawl on top of people in their sleep. People who experience sleep paralysis often feel a dark creature on top of them, holding them down. And many believe that the cause of this is a result of the Polly's demon. Once they're on top of you, they then drain their victim's blood by licking the soles of their feet. Another terrifying jinn is the Silat or the She-Ghoul. 
They're the smartest shape-shifting djinn, and they often disguise themselves in human form, so you'll never be able to tell if a djinn is walking among you. In Islamic tradition, the word djinn is used to refer to almost any supernatural creature, but it can also be used for a specific creature. They are like demons, and they can be evil, but other times they are friendly and helpful after being summoned by sorcerers. And even though they are considered lesser gods, they aren't immortal or invincible. There have been legends of armed men being able to kill jinn, but it's not easy, as jinn can shapeshift and many turn invisible, so fighting them is nearly impossible. These spirits are also spreaders of disease and mental illness, and since they can turn invisible, their victim won't even know what happened. One of the earliest references of jinn appears in the story of Solomon. He was a prophet of God and was given many gifts, including the ability to speak to animals and jinn. At that time, jinn were seen as creatures of nature. So because of these abilities he had, he was able to round up the jinn and get them to help build the first temple in ancient Jerusalem. In the Quran, the jinn are mentioned 29 times. Most of them are mentioned in the 72nd chapter titled Al-Jinn, which translates to the jinn. But Islam is a religion that believes in only one true God, so jinn are seen as lesser spirits and not gods. They're basically on the same level as humans, but they have supernatural abilities. And they are able to exist between two realms, this realm and the spectral realm. In the Quran, the jinn are divided into three groups. There is the flying jinn, shape-shifting jinn, and jinn that roam the earth like humans do. They are believed to be entities that exist in a plane of reality that is invisible to humans, kind of like angels and demons. But not every jinn is high up on the spiritual ladder. Some are believed to be similar to humans. When they were first created out of the smokeless fire before the first humans ever walked the earth, they were faster and stronger. But they were similar to humans in a few ways, as they still needed to eat and sleep, just like a human being. At the end of their life cycle, God either sentenced them to heaven or hell, depending on how they lived. And during their existence on earth, they lived in tribes. Each one was created by a different mixture of fire. And between these tribes, they waged war against each other. Power struggles between light and dark forces tore through the desert plains. Good and evil jinn killed each other, and they were judged before God in the afterlife. Whenever massive storms came through, they were explained as violent battles between the jinn. And since the jinn are invisible, the rain and lightning were the aftershocks of a gruesome battle that just took place. From these battles, some believe that most or all of the jinn were wiped off of the face of the earth. A traditional story tries to explain their disappearance even further. Early on, angels were created on a Wednesday, and on Thursday, the jinn were created. A thousand years after this, the first humans walked the earth. Angels, jinn, and humans coexisted peacefully for some time. But eventually the jinn began to change. Violence and corruption infected them. God threatened them if they didn't change their ways, but they ignored his threats. So God sent angels to eradicate the jinn from existence. And according to this legend, almost every last jinn was killed, and the few that survived were permanently exiled from the earth. Since then, the jinn have been seen as evil spirits who wade between the world of the living and the spiritual realm. Beyond Islamic mythology, jinn have spread across the world. In the country of Morocco, exorcisms are performed when someone is possessed by a jinn, but they won't possess just anybody. They specifically target vulnerable people, 
as they find people with tired souls and take control of them. This could mean that they were depressed or unstable, and the jinn would be ready to take control. In some occasions, these exorcisms could become so violent the victim would actually die. On August 5, 2004, a 23-year-old woman named Latifa Hakmi went through with an exorcism. Her family thought a jinn had possessed her. She had become depressed and couldn't become pregnant, so her family thought an evil entity had taken control of her body. She went through month-long sessions in her home in Belgium, and these sessions were intense. They involved physical beatings, and they forced her to swallow holy water. They only fed her two spoons of yogurt every day, and they kept a pair of headphones over her ears playing verses of the Quran on repeat. This whole process was believed to scourge the demon out of her body. But in the end, it became too much. When her husband called emergency services, they entered the home where there were two self-appointed exorcists, the victim's husband and three female members of a radical Muslim group. They found Latifa on the floor. Her skin and lips were blue. The husband claimed she had been feeling sick and that she had died of natural causes, but it was obvious there was something else going on. When they actually performed an autopsy, bruises covered her body and water filled her lungs. They had actually forced her to swallow gallons of holy water, shoving their fingers down her throat and bathing her in steaming hot water, as well as beating her with wooden sticks. Literally after hours and hours of torture, she had finally succumbed to her wounds. The six people involved, including her husband, were all charged with murder, which rightfully so. Whether or not she was really possessed by a jinn or not was up for debate. But the modern fear of jinn is still real, and people have gotten so caught up in the jinn's demonic abilities that they've tortured and killed their own loved ones. Besides possessions, people also believe jinns live underground where they plot against humans. The only reason they surface in the living realm is to wreak havoc and spread disease, but they're mostly known to target people who mistreat others. And their most common terror tactic besides possession is kidnapping children who misbehave. So this way the jinn can be used as a way to get people to behave. Or else the jinn will ruin their life. Over time, the jinn became known as genies to the western world. Their stories were collected in a book known as 1001 Nights that collected eastern folktales from the 8th century to the 14th century. One of the most popular stories was Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. In this story... Aladdin is similar to how he's depicted in the Disney movie. He's a young, mischievous guy living on the streets. A mysterious man finds Aladdin and he claims to be his long-lost uncle. He introduces himself as Mustafa, the tailor. The strange sorcerer convinces Aladdin and his mother that he wants to help them financially. But before he helps them, he needs a favor. He tells them about a hidden cave. And inside this cave, there's the most incredible oil lamp in all of the land. If Aladdin can retrieve this lamp, his uncle promises him and his mother that they will have all the riches in the world and they will never be poor again. But there's a catch. The hidden cave is ridden with magical booby traps. Mustafa wouldn't dare try to enter it alone because he knows it's too dangerous. So he persuades Aladdin to go find it with him. He also gives Aladdin a magical ring to protect him. But once inside the cave, Mustafa abandons him and Aladdin finds himself alone, trapped inside. By accident, Aladdin rubs his hands together, and when he rubs the magical ring, a genie pops out of the ring. 
He ends up retrieving the lamp, escaping the cave, and returns home to his mother. She then decides that they should sell the lamp so they can afford food. But before they take it to the market, she takes a cloth and wipes off the dust and dirt. And as she rubs the lamp, a second genie emerges. This one is more powerful than the other. This was the genie that Mustafa had been looking for. And with the genie's abilities, Aladdin quickly becomes a rich and powerful man. He ends up marrying the Sultan's daughter. And Mustafa hears about Aladdin's rise to power and returns home to find him. He knows that Aladdin must have retrieved the lamp since he had become so rich and powerful. Mustafa finds Aladdin's wife and corners her. He tricks her into handing over the magical lamp. His first command to the genie is to take Aladdin's palace and everything he owns back to Mustafa's homeland. And when Aladdin finds out what's happening, he summons a lesser genie from the magic ring. But the genie tells him he can't undo the magic of the other genie. The only thing he could do was teleport Aladdin to Mustafa's home, where he had taken all of his belongings. Once there, Aladdin sneaks into the palace, finds Mustafa, and cuts him down with a sword. He then commands the more powerful genie to return his palace to where it originally was. But Mustafa's older brother had witnessed what had happened, and he promised to avenge his brother. Through magic, he transforms himself into an older woman and sneaks into Aladdin's palace. But the powerful genie sees through his disguise and tells Aladdin what's going on. The man is quickly captured and dragged to a courtyard and beheaded for trespassing. In the end, Aladdin becomes the sultan of the land, and he never has trouble with evil sorcerers ever again. This story is still one of the most popular stories that involve jinn. Throughout history and pop culture, jinn have been explained in dozens of different ways. Depending on what part of the world you're in, you'll get a different version. In Persian mythology, jinn live in their own land called Jinistan. Their capital was Bright City of Jewels, and when they left their own realm, they came to haunt the human world. They usually terrorized the deserts, rivers, wells, and marketplaces. Getting permission from the local jinn to draw water from a well or enter an unknown area became common. And locals feared that if the jinn became upset, they'll poison the local water and crops. Those beliefs and practices involving jinn are mostly found in Muslim regions around the world. But many believe jinn can be found anywhere, and they might curse you with severe sleep paralysis. Or crippling mental illness. So moving on to the next historical demon on our list is a being that came from Hindu and Buddhist mythology. They're called Asuras, and unlike the jinn, they are rarely helpful or friendly. They are known as power-hungry demons who are lustful and known for unstable mood swings. In Buddhism, their name is sometimes translated to demigod or anti-god and their appearance matches their reputation. Asura's skin are often dark red or bluish green, and it's poisonous to the touch. They have four to six arms that come out of their torso and three heads that come out of their neck. Each face on their head point into a different direction so they have a 360 degree view of their surroundings. They often wear beautiful clothes like silk skirts with gold sashes, gold bracelets cover their arms, and heavy jewel necklaces hang from their necks. Sometimes they wear elaborate helmets, like they're going into battle. They're stronger than humans, but compared to the other gods, are at the bottom of the totem pole. Many stories about these demons involve the quest for immortality. Many were obsessed with finding an elixir for eternal life. And in mythology, Asuras and Divas were once children of the great celestial god. And they had promised each other, if one of them found it, they would share it with the others. 
but the divas ended up breaking their promise. Once they found the elixir of eternal life, they kept it for themselves. And now the Asuras are mortal forever. This gives them all inferiority complexes. They're jealous of the other gods and they're easily humiliated, which makes them unstable. In one myth, a god named Sakura was a ruler of heaven. Eventually, he became the ruler of the earth. The Asuras celebrated his rise to power by partying and getting hammered on strong liquor. While the Asuras were wasted, Sakura ordered them all to be removed from his presence. Later, when the Asuras sobered up, they felt so disrespected that they had been removed from the party that they waged a violent war against Sakura. This showed how emotional and unstable Asuras can be, and they often let their emotions control them. But supposedly, their strong emotions also make them incredible lovers and extremely devoted in religious practices. They won't hesitate to perform blood sacrifices to the higher gods or go on violent pilgrimages for their faith. Since they're low on the totem pole of gods and extremely unstable, they're willing to do almost anything to try and prove themselves. In Hindu mythology, they are separated into good and evil groups. Those that do good deeds have the chance of being promoted to the next higher god, but their short temper and unstable moods usually prevent them from doing good. The Buddhists consider them as one of the four unhappy births. This means that if you're reincarnated as an Asura, it's just as bad as reincarnating as an animal. The only bonus is the power that comes with it. Unfortunately, their powers are unstable as their emotions, though. They can fly, change shape, cast spells, and turn wild animals into personal slaves. Depending on their mood, they can perform miracles, or they can bring destruction and death to their surroundings. The Asura females called Asori, are known for charms they can use on plants. One legend says that Asori once created a plant that cured leprosy and a powerful love potion with herbs. With their powers, the Asura have been popular through Hindu and Buddhist mythology. And one of the most famous stories about the Asura is the story of Shiva's son and Hakka. The story begins with Shiva meditating on top of a mountain. Shiva is a very powerful Hindu god and he could understand much of the universe through his third eye. While meditating, his wife Parvati snuck up behind him. She reached out and covered Shiva's eyes with her hands. This caused the whole universe to turn black with darkness. And as she covered his eyes, his sweat began to ooze through her hands because his powerful third eye was overheating. The sweat poured between her fingers and fell to the ground in front of them. The sweat then oozed and churned until it turned into a mangled-looking boy who was completely blind. Shiva's wife was horrified about what they had just created, but Shiva said that this was now their son because he had been born from their physical contact. They named him Enhaka. Years passed and a demon king did Shiva a favor, hoping that they would one day have a son. Shiva was pleased with the demon king, so he gave his son over to him. Enhaka lived with his new demon king father for a while, learning the ways of becoming a powerful demon until one day the demon king was murdered by another god. Because of this, Enhaka inherited the demonic kingdom and he became the new ruler of all the demons. But the other demons would never accept him as a true Asura demon because he was born from Shiva, so they rejected him as their true ruler. He was actually banished to a dark forest outside of his kingdom, and there he asked the creator, Lord Brahma, for help. He fasted for several days to prove his worth, but Brahma 
ignored him. No matter what he did, he couldn't get the attention of Lord Brahma. In desperation, Anhaka took a blade and began sawing off each of his arms and legs. Blood flowed from his wounds as he sawed into his flesh and muscles, until finally Brahma could no longer ignore him. As Brahma looked into the dark forest and saw all the blood that poured from his wounds, he was pleased. This was the kind of devotion he was looking for. Self-mutilation and blood was the only way to get the attention, and it was just like a true asura to let emotions cause them to begin cutting off their own limbs. So Brahma gave Anhaka two gifts. One was the ability to finally see since he was blind his whole life. And when his vision came to him, he could finally see the green trees and the bright birds. He was so inspired by this gift that he asked Brahma to give him immortality. But Brahma refused. He said that every living thing must eventually die. But he would allow him to choose the conditions of his life when he died. So Anhaka told him he wanted a beautiful woman that would be like a mother to him. And once he had that, he could die happy. As he had been lonely his entire life. And the other demons judged him for not having a beautiful woman. So Brahma agreed. And Haka spent the next few years reclaiming the demonic kingdom. He murdered anyone who got in his way. And when he got enough power, he even began controlling parts of heaven. He became so powerful he was feared all over the world. And once he controlled his kingdom, he bragged to the world that no one could match his strength or his wealth. He had everything except for one thing. He still didn't have a woman. He traveled through his kingdom with his army looking for a beautiful woman. He came to a mountain and decided to rest there for the night. Some of his troops scouted the area and came back to report what they had found. Supposedly, they found an old hermit in a cave, and with him was a charming, beautiful woman. And Haka ordered them to bring him the woman, but the hermit refused to let her go. So Enhaka went to the cave himself to fight the hermit. He figured it would be an easy battle, but he was met with a massive army. And this battle became a war that lasted 500 years. Countless dead bodies rolled off the mountaintop. Centuries passed and other gods joined in. He waged a 500-year war so that he could finally get a beautiful woman that was like a mother to him. In the end, he thought he would win. But he didn't realize that the woman in the cave that he was fighting over was actually his own mother, Parvati. He had never seen her with his own eyes since he was blind when he was a child. But the fight continued. Eventually, Shiva came to battle his own son. He took up his trident and stabbed Enhaka over and over again, but his son wouldn't die. Every time his blood fell from the wounds and reached the ground, new copies of himself appeared. So Shiva told his servants to drink the blood before it touched the ground. As he stabbed his son over and over, the servants latched onto Enhaka and sucked up the blood that flowed out of his wounds until finally he fell to the ground and died and Brahma's promise was kept. He told Enhaka he would only die until he had a beautiful woman who was like a mother to him. In the end, he had his beautiful mother all along. For all Asuras, their journey ends in death. They will always be lesser gods and their power is always limited, but this is what makes them dangerous. They're always trying to prove themselves by committing the most violent crimes, waging 500-year wars or mutilating themselves until other gods take notice. Chinese folklore also has demons who are desperate to be powerful gods. They were called Yao Guai. Their names roughly translate to strange demons and their stories have been around for centuries. 
Just like the Asuras, these demons wanted immortality and the power of the gods. They got their powers through practicing Taoism, and they took their powers and distorted the balance of light and dark, good and evil. The Aogwai were consumed by evil, and they would do anything to become gods. They often believed that they could only become gods if they consumed the life force of holy men. One popular story of a Yaogwai is the tale of the white-boned spirit from the 16th century. The story tells of a demon named Bai Jujing. The demon desperately wanted to eat the flesh of a Buddhist monk named Tang. And while Tang is traveling with his disciples towards the west, they come across a little village girl who offers them all fruit. They go to grab the fruit, but one of the followers, Sun the Monkey King, stops them. He senses that something is off about the little village girl. His senses tell him that this little girl is actually a demon in disguise. So Sun takes a staff and bludgeons the little village girl to death in front of the rest of the men. And when the Buddhist monk Tang sees what happens, he's horrified. Sun tries to explain that the girl was a demon, and the fruit would have killed them all, but they don't believe him. Tang still thinks she was just an innocent girl, so he digs her a grave at the edge of town and buries her body. And after the sun sets, Tang and his crew find a place to sleep for the night. Meanwhile, inside the grave, the dead little girl's eyes open and she reanimates. Her skull is broken in several places and her ribcage is shattered from her murder. But she snaps her bones back into place and the blood returns to her body. She uses her hands to claw at the ground beneath her and she disappears deeper into the earth. The next day, the crew wakes up and continues their journey through the village when they run into an elderly woman down the road. She's frantic and asks if the crew have seen her daughter. When they ask her what she looks like, she describes a little village girl from the day before. Obviously, they're freaking out, so they lie and tell her that they haven't seen her, even though they know Sun had bludgeoned her to death the day before. Sun then emerges from the group, and he senses the same strange presence of a demon when he's near the woman. He looks her up and down, and she seems like a regular woman, but Sun still senses a strong demonic energy seeping from her. So again, he takes his staff and drags the woman into an alley, he covers her mouth and beats her to death in front of everyone. And again, he swears that he sensed the same demon. He tells him that it's the same one that they encountered yesterday. But this time, it's disguised as an old woman. The rest of the group is now even angrier at Sun. But they go on with their journey through the village. And later, an elderly man crosses her path and says that his daughter is missing and someone has murdered his wife. By now, the whole group feels guilty because they know the truth. While they speak to the man for a bit, Sun begins hearing a strange voice coming out of the man. His mouth isn't moving, and it's a strange raspy voice of a woman he hears within. But it sounds like it's coming straight out of the man's head. When Sun asks one of the others if they can hear the voice, they just look at him like he's crazy. He realizes he's the only one who can hear the scratchy female voice coming out of the man. Then the voice begins taunting him, until he's convinced that it's the same demon from before. So Sun charges at the man and cracks him over the head in front of the crew. The man falls to the ground dead. By this time, the crew has had enough. They think Sun is delusional, short-tempered, and violent. But as they argue, the man's body begins to disintegrate and fade away until it's only a pile of white bones. Sun then shows Tang that it was actually a demon inside of the man. And this was the same demon from before. At first, Tang believes him, but the others in the group are convinced that Sun used magic to turn the corpse into a skeleton. Tang ends up siding with the rest of the group and banishes him from his crew. 
heartbroken son hides away in Water Curtain Cave for months all alone. Eventually, some of the crew members come searching for him when they realize he was right all along. And now Tang needs his help with another demon as they head west. They realize Sun is the only one who can help them sense the demons, and the countryside is filled with demons and ghouls. This 16th century story sets the stage for Yao Guai, and many believe their presence can still be found in the modern world. Just like in the story, these demons are often deceitful, can use their powers to easily persuade their victims. They can shapeshift and create illusions. Some of the stronger ones even have the power of mind control. They've also been known to seduce their victims to get them to do their bidding. In Chinese folklore, there are two types of Yao Guai. One is a cultivated creature, where living creatures gain mana and wisdom over time and they eventually form into a living demon. The other type of Yao Guai is a demoted god. These demons once violated the laws of heaven so they were cast out into the mortal realm. Many of them fled to the underworld where they live in darkness. So many believe that as long as you're near fire, torches, fireworks, or most light sources, the Yaogwai will stay away because they thrive in the darkness. If the lights go out, you might be in trouble. When it comes to other demons though, their fall from grace was even more dramatic than the others I've mentioned already. The Shadim were once known as gods but their reputation would later be connected to demonic forces of destruction, illness, and human sacrifice. From the beginning of human civilization, one man's god was another man's demon. In ancient Mesopotamia, the Shedu were powerful guardian spirits. They had a human head with eagle wings and the body of a bull. They were extremely hairy and often lived out in the wilderness. Since they were known as protectors, statues of these spirits were carved into city walls, hoping they would ward off enemies and bring peace to the city within. Inside houses, their images were carved into clay tablets and buried beneath the foundation, so the spirit would protect them, even though they were seen as guardians. To outsiders, they were seen as demons. When the Israelites encountered the Shidu, their interpretation was much different. Some of them began worshipping the Shidu, but others saw them as false idols. In the Bible, they were referred to as devils that had possessed marble statues and disguised themselves as gods. Worshipping these idols was seen as a sin. So the Israelites saw these spiritual beings as evil demons, and they called them the Shadim. The fanatics who worshipped these demons supposedly began making blood sacrifices and even killing off their own children. Many of the Israelites began to fear the followers as much as the demons. As for the demons' origins, several different stories explain how they came to be. In one story, God created them on the sixth day. He started putting their bodies together, but it took too long. And since he rested on the seventh day, they were permanently trapped in a state of incompletion. God left them as they were to show that everyone, even God, needed to rest on the Sabbath. So the Shadim had souls, but no completed bodies. Others say they were descendants of demonic serpents, like the one that tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's believed that when someone dies and their family mourns, the Shadim haunt them. At funerals, Shadim can surround the dead body and begin manipulating it. They claw and pick at the skin of the dead until they absorb the dead person's pain. And when they feel the pain, they experience every single sin the person had ever carried out. Some claim that they've seen the skin of a dead person move while the body is inside a casket at a funeral. And this is a sign that the Shadim are nearby. 
There's a belief that if a few people dance around the body in a circle and recite a prayer, you can ward off the demons. If they stick around, they can leave the deceased body or others nearby with grotesque deformities. Another origin story suggests that the Shadim are actually descendants of Adam's first wife, Lilith. And Lilith was a primordial she-demon. She first appeared in Mesopotamia folklore as a storm demon, and her name has a root in the Semitic word meaning night. She would later become known for terrorizing young children and women in childbirth. According to one story, Lilith was created from the earth just like her husband Adam. She was created as an equal, but Adam expected her to obey at all times. One night during sex, Adam commanded her to lie beneath him, but she refused. She eventually grew tired of the marriage and left Adam in the Garden of Eden. She'd rather be independent out in the wilderness. Now an outcast, she began communicating with demons that live beyond the garden. Lilith began living with them and took the shape of a humanoid serpent demon. She then vowed to become a predator of infants and pregnant women, especially Adam's new wife, Eve. She later formed a union with the fallen angel, and when she gave birth, she created even more demons, which ended up becoming the Shadim. Today, she still roams the earth, giving birth to more demons and looking for more victims. She typically disguises herself as a pretty young woman and charms her victims. If she's not disguised, she spends her time as a naked woman bound by large snakes in the middle of a pitch black forest. With other demons, Lilith promised to plague humanity. She mostly haunts pregnant victims in the middle of storms, which got her the nickname Screeching Owl and the Night Monster. If a storm passes through, watch out for Lilith as she disguises herself as a charming woman because this is when she causes pregnant women to miscarry. Some also believe that Lilith can disguise herself as a modern nurse and steal newborns from hospitals. Sometimes she will take the child to a secluded place and transform into a humanoid wolf before tearing the child apart with her teeth. But Lilith isn't the only she-demon in ancient folklore. One of the most popular female demons comes from Japanese history, and they're known as the Yukiona. These spirits, or yokai as they're known in Japanese folklore, are often seen as pale women dressed in white. The Yukiona has the power of ice. She goes by many names like the Snow Witch, and her skin is as cold as ice. It's said she has deep violet eyes and long black hair, and she feeds off human life force by sucking it out of her victim's mouth and into hers, freezing her victims in the process. And since she looks human, she can then blend in with the others after she kills. She can even live among humans, fall in love, and get married, but she will never age. Eventually, her heart is always broken when her lover gets older and dies, so she tends to live deep in the mountains alone. And while she hides out in the snowy forest, she preys on weary travelers to get lost or stray from the main path. She usually appears on January 15th, which is known as Little New Year's in Japan, and she leaves on February 1st. In one legend, a young man named Minokichi crosses paths with a strange woman in the mountains. Years ago in a small town, he ran an inn with his father, Masuka. They're out in the snowy mountains heading back into town after a long trip. It was the middle of winter and a blizzard began rolling through. They would never make it through the storm, but luckily they found a small hut just off of the road where they took refuge. Local hunters often used it as a shelter during the hunting months, but it was abandoned now. When they got inside, they used the last of the spare firewood to heat up the shelter. They planned on staying through the night until the blizzard passed. 
so they got out their bedrolls and rested near the fire. As they slept, Minokichi woke up in the middle of the night. He could feel snowflakes falling on his face, which was strange since he was inside. He also noticed everything was quiet and still. It almost felt like time had stopped. He turned over to look at his father sleeping, and near his head he saw a figure kneeling in the dark. The figure had long black hair that draped over their face, and they wore a white kimono. When she pushed her hair to the side, she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. Snow lightly fell on her shoulders, and her eyes began to burn bright violet as she looked down at his sleeping father. In the dark, she reached out her hand toward his father, and when she made contact, his father woke up. He gasped and shivered like he had been dunked into a freezing bath. In the faint light of the room, his skin began turning blue. A look of panic came across his face as he turned completely white. And with one last breath, he fell back down to the floor. Dead. In the blink of an eye, the woman teleported across the room and was now kneeling beside Minokichi. He felt her cold breath on his skin and shivered. She lowered herself over him and began whispering into his ear. She said that she was Yokiona, the Snow Witch. She was tempted to freeze him and suck out his soul, but she decided to spare him because he was a good-looking man. She then said that if he ever told anyone about what happened, he would meet a fate worse than death. She told him to swear on everything he held dear that he wouldn't say a thing. As he looked over at his dead father, he knew this wasn't just an intimidation, so he swore that he would keep this a secret. She then faded out of sight and the blizzard stopped. The sky cleared and the snow began to melt. So he packed up his things and returned to the village. They eventually recovered his father's body and gave him a funeral. His father was one of several people who had been killed by the freezing cold that year. And as the brutal winter passed, Minokichi returned to his work at the inn. Years went by, and he grew older. One day he met a beautiful woman named Oyuki, and he offered her work at the inn. And eventually they fell in love and got married. She even helped him co-run the inn. She eventually gave birth to six children as the years passed, and her beauty and her youth seemed to stay the same. One winter, they decided to take their children on vacation. While they were out in the mountains, a violent snowstorm rolled through. It reminded Minokichi of the night his father died during the snowstorm. But now he began to think that the demon woman he saw that night was only a dream. He believed that his father died simply from the cold, and the woman was just a hallucination from lack of sleep in the freezing weather. On vacation, he took his wife and children indoors and lit a fire to keep them warm. As they all went to sleep, Minokichi and his wife rested next to each other, and the night grew colder and colder. He whispered to his wife that nights like this reminded him of his father and the strange woman all those years ago. His wife rolled over to look at him and said, What woman? And so he told her about what had happened that night with the Yukiona. He told her it might have all been a dream or a hallucination of some sort. She looked at him in silence as snow began to fall from the ceiling. And slowly, the center of her eyes began to glow a deep violet color. The room's temperature dropped and a deep frost settled in. His wife began speaking to him, but it was no longer her own voice. It was grating and low-pitched. She told him that he had broken his promise. As her anger grew, the room began to freeze. She told him she had to sacrifice his father all those years ago so the town would be saved from a terrible storm where many more would die. Minokichi could feel his life draining as she spoke. It was like his soul was pouring out of his mouth. 
He could also hear his children screaming through the house as the temperature dropped, and they began freezing to death. As he struggled to breathe, he let out one last breath, saying, But what about our children? Suddenly, his life force began to return, and Yukiona stopped to think for a moment. They were her children after all. But she couldn't let Minokichi get away with his betrayal. After a moment of thinking, she spared them all. The warmth slowly returned to the room and Minokichi watched as his wife's skin began melting and bubbling. Her violet eyes faded to black and her entire body melted into the bed and evaporated, never to be seen again. Minokichi returned home with his children, absolutely traumatized. Many of the townspeople noticed his wife hadn't returned with him. So rumors began to spread that he had brutally killed his wife and left her body in the mountains. And these rumors haunted him for the rest of his life. He ended up living a very lonely life and all of his children turned against him and his inn went out of business and he never found another woman for the rest of his life as he feared that every other woman he ever talked to was just going to be the Yukiona in disguise. So it's clear that all of these historical demons have taken different forms throughout the years and their stories were passed down before they were ever recorded in written history. Legends have been passed down for generations and the demons change along with the stories. But even though they're all old tales, many believe there's still truth to them. The exact details might get lost, but their terror keeps making its way through history. From newborns stolen out of hospitals to modern day exorcisms, these ancient demons might still live among us. And their stories and shapes might change. But their goals of haunting humankind stay the same. I'm going to wrap up today's episode on demons from across the world there. For me personally, going way back to when I was a child, demons have always been something that have haunted me. From maybe age five or six is when I first learned about hell and the demons that live there and Lucifer, Satan, and ever since then, I was just absolutely terrified of the thought of demons or hell or burning for eternity and being tortured. It's one of those things that as much as I'm over it now, it still haunts me from time to time. I'm sure there's many of you out there who have had similar experiences through religion or maybe just stories that are passed down. I'm curious to know if you have any specific stories from these different cultures or specific demons that maybe I covered today or maybe some that I didn't cover at all. Whether you believe in demons or not, I think there's one thing that we all can agree on is that there's good and there's evil. And whether or not spiritual entities really exist, I mean, that's up to everyone to decide for themselves. But I do believe that there is unseen forces at work in this world and you know i don't can't really put specific names to them and the idea you know demons are kind of a name that i just use for them but i don't necessarily think that they're demons that originated from biblical times you know that these demons are negative entities could be something from a different dimension i mean it's probably far more complicated than any of us could ever possibly imagine or be able to comprehend but I do think that there are 
negative forces at play in this world. And if you reach out to them and you agree to do their bidding, there is a possibility that they can take a hold of you in one way or another. As we've seen with many of the haunting cases that we cover on here, there's different negative entities that manifest and cause all sorts of chaos. Or even with last week's episode when we covered Sean Sellers. I mean, he literally reached out and offered his soul up. And as a result, it drove him to murder several people and completely destroy his life. So I do think at the end of the day, you have to be careful about these things and you have to tread lightly when delving into this world. But I do think it's a world that's worth knowing about. Hence why I covered it here on Lights Out. There's plenty more where this came from. I could go far more into detail, especially if we looked at exorcisms in general, as well as, you know, how the Catholic Church investigates demonic activity and possession. I would love to one day maybe get an exorcist on the show and interview somebody firsthand who's had experiences with these negative entities, because I do believe that they exist. I just don't know in what form that they actually exist. I don't know if there's any way for any of us to know that. But I want to know your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or let me know on social media if you believe in demons. And if you don't, why not? Or maybe there's, you know, maybe you take a similar path that I do with them that you do believe that there's negative entities out there. You just don't know how to describe them or what to call them. But I want to know your thoughts on this one. This one is uh, one that hits hits close to home for me. So I hope you found this episode interesting. I know I sure did. Some of these stories are quite terrifying, to be honest. And I just can't believe that they they tell some of these stories to to young kids. Because man, there's one way to give your give your kids spiritual trauma. Tell them a story, origin story of some of these demons, man. It's truly scary stuff. But I'm going to wrap up today's episode there. Make sure you're following Lights Out on Spotify, subscribing on YouTube, and all the places. I really appreciate it. Check us out. Check out our merch at milehighmerch.com. But I will see you guys next week. Until then, Lights Out. F.